Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, as he does every single Wednesday, is our guy from ESPN Radio, Freddie Coleman. And you can usually check Freddie out at 9 p.m. nightly on WDEV. But, Freddie, a rare night off for you. Yeah, rare night off because we have an NBA game. But you know what? I'll take whatever I can get because it's good to have a night off to recharge. But we'll be back at it tomorrow once another NBA game is over. What does Freddie Coleman uh, do on a, on a uh, night off? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> watch some TV, maybe catch up some things that I had a chance to not watch because I'm usually working from 9P to 1 a.m. Eastern time, just hanging out with the missus as well. But usually absolutely nothing is the headline when it comes to that. Are, when you are not working or when you have a chance, are you a guy who watches a lot of sports or do you like to separate a little bit? Oh, no, I'm still watching sports. I'm sure I'll be checking out some NBA games tonight, some NHL action as well. So even when I'm not working, whether it's a weekend where I don't have to work on weekends or even a night off like tonight, I'm usually keeping up on things and paying attention. So I'll probably have a couple of games in my line of sight if I'm not watching something else on TV. How many TVs you got in the, uh, in the watching area? Like, are you someone, do you have multiple TVs? Do you bring in a second TV? Are you streaming on the computer? What, what's it look like there when things are really busy? No, it's just one TV. My clicker gets worn out. Let's put it that way, Brady. It's <laughs> going from channel to channel to channel, especially when you have the NCAA tournament and so many games are staggered where at any given time you can have three or four games on at the same time. So I just go from channel to channel from that standpoint. And usually during the NCAA tournament before COVID-19 happened, I would go into the studio because we usually have about six to eight TVs in every studio. But because of COVID-19 protocols, I didn't do that this year. So normally – when you have a lot of games on like that during an NFL season or during a college football or the NCAA tournament, I'll go into work sometimes and watch those games there. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I meant to ask you that maybe last week or the week before, is you guys do a lot of reaction to games that are just ending. But because you're on the air, are you watching these games out of the corner of your eye as you're talking? Or are you just, you know, hey, we're talking to, to so-and-so from the Celtics here, and you're just looking off a box score. How does that work? Yeah, we're usually watching games and paying attention out of the corner of our eye. And sometimes, especially if a game is more important than the other one, then those games will get the most screen time from that standpoint. And it's always cool when you have the NCAA tournament, Brady, where you can have four different games on and react as those games are going along. And then you go back to whatever is hot with the news of the day, whether it's NCAA, NCAA tournament stuff or the NFL or the NBA. So, And I'm used to doing that because when I did the NFL and ESPN radio, and college game day final, Mel Kiper Jr., I got used to looking at so many different TVs and paying attention and also paying attention to the conversation no matter who was co-hosting with me. So that was really a cool thing to have that kind of baptism in the fire that's really kind of a, really kind of a, kind of of alerted me how to do things, how to watch TV a certain way and still maintain a radio show at the same time. There was some interesting stuff that came out in The Ringer yesterday on a podcast about the Celtics issues. And one of the things that really stuck with me is that the Celtics locker room is is very small, and so the Celtics basically have two locker rooms this year. And they have put all of their veterans in one locker room and all of their young players slash newcomers in another, and it has created this lack of team chemistry and this literal division in the team. Um, do you buy into the notion that the coronavirus, social distancing, et cetera, has impacted team chemistry, not just with the Celtics, but maybe among all sports? I don't doubt that at all because if you're used to being around people in close quarters and then you can't do that, then that's going to be 
a major, major issue, especially if you're not an NFL team, for example, because those locker rooms are pretty big and pretty spaced out. Now, you can have everybody in the same area, even if they're going to be social distance. But the NBA locker room and NHL locker room is far smaller than the NFL locker room. So if you're used to seeing guys and having conversations, or able to go over to a guy's locker and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this, or hey, what about this, what about that? Sometimes those conversations are as important as the conversation you're going to have on the court to try to maintain whatever chemistry you're looking to find or whatever chemistry that you already have. So I put a lot of credence in that because we've even talked about that with a couple of coaches in the NCAA tournament, Brady, in that more than ever before, having that chemistry and being in a bubble environment, you really have to understand that you're going to be around these guys, that there's going to be some social distancing going on. So you really have to continue to have those lines of communication open and not just assume that everybody is going to find a way to be on the same page. By the time the trade deadline comes tomorrow in the NBA, do you think Marcus Smart is still on the Celtics? I think he's going to still be on the Celtics because I don't think that you can use him as whatever ills are going on with your basketball team. And I think a lot of it, I believe a lot of that with the Boston Celtics, is more of a head issue than a physical issue. Whatever is going on mentally with his basketball team, whatever mental distractions or whatever disconnects that have happened so far where they cannot be the team that we felt we were going to see. They're going to have to find a way to fix that out because I've seen this time and time again, Brady, when you blame one guy for the problems of a team, and then as it turns out, that guy was not the problem. I go back to the Houston Rockets. They were not able to beat the Golden State Warriors, and they placed that blame on Chris Paul. Then a year later, everybody realized that James Harden was more of the problem than Chris Paul, but that was the one they decided to ship out because James Harden had power church and state. They need that one guy. And I don't know if it's going to be Kimball Walker or maybe it's Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, whoever that is. But they need that one guy that everybody can say we have to rally around. Maybe it's Marcus Smart. Maybe that's the dude that can do that. But whoever that is or whoever that is not, they better find that guy sooner than later because even if you don't make any changes at the trading deadline, there will have to be some changes made in Boston if they fall short in the playoffs, if they don't have a deep run in the playoffs then there are going to have to be some things that Danny Ainge will have to think about to make sure this does not continue and happen again. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Kind of surprising Patriots news today. They bring back James White on a one-year deal. Surprised me a bit. Like, when the team was rebuilding, I didn't think they needed a 29-year-old running back. And now that they're contending, I love James White, but... he's not a very versatile back for them. I mean, so I'm kind of surprised they brought him back. They're not worried about versatility because look at the moves they've made in the offseason where you don't have to rely on James White to be a guy that has to be a playmaker for your football team. That's why they brought in John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. That's why they brought in those two wide receivers, Nelson Aguilar, as well as born from the San Francisco 49ers. They're still going to try to run and pound the football, but we've seen this. Ever since Corey Gillen was the running back for this football team, it's been a running back approach by committee when it comes to the Patriots. So what James White will be able to do Whatever his strength is going to be, that's where they're going to put him in place to make sure they get the best maximum value when it comes to James White. They're going to have so many different people that they believe can be playmakers for their quarterback that they're not just relying on one guy. And they're hoping that because having those versatile players and different playmakers at any level of the offense, that'll be hard to scout this team and hard to game plan against this football team. So I'm not surprised by that at all. If anything, we've seen a bunch of surprises from the New England Patriots so far in this offseason bringing back Cam Newton, all the money that they spent on free agents. I don't think anybody should be surprised at anything that this team is going to do because, Brady, we know what this is all about. 
not just the fact they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they don't want you-know-who to get further and further away from them in terms of winning a championship, and that means Tom Brady down with Tampa Bay. I firmly believe all the moves they made were not just about making sure they don't go 7-9 and nine to 6-10, and 10, but to make sure they keep up in the Tampa Bay arms race when it comes to Tom Brady, who's a lot closer still to the Super Bowl than the Patriots are right now. What do you think of my idea, by the way? I think the Patriots' home opener, Week 2, Sunday Night Football, you know, the NFL can't put Patriots bucks like in week 12 and risk the Patriots being three and seven. So my my thought is week two, Pat's home opener, Sunday night football, provided there's full fans, is Buccaneers at Patriots. My only caveat with that is the Bucks are going to get that opening Thursday night game. and They don't usually put them in primetime back-to-back weeks, but Pat's home opener against the Bucks sounds pretty tasty to me. Oh, don't worry, Brady. They don't care about putting somebody in back-to-back primetime games. If they have a chance to do that with Tom Brady – in a situation like that, the NFL is going to do that. I think it's more likely that they move that game to further the season. But that makes all the sense in the world. And it has it doesn't have anything to do with old man Tampa Bay getting back to back games. They're the defending Super Bowl champions. They still have a guy that is one of the top five athletes in terms of Q rating in sports right now when it comes to Tom Brady. You're not doing yourself any favors by saying we can't do that. If anything, you're doing everybody a favor by having an opening night defending their Super Bowl championship from last year and then Tom Brady's homecoming going back to New England, making that the first Sunday night game of the season for both of those teams and the second Sunday night football game of the year involving the NFL contract. I'm completely on board with you from that standpoint. I don't want to hear about that too many primetime games. Why do you not want to put your primetime people in the best position that everybody can see them? whether it's Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, Patrick Mahomes with Kansas City, Russell Wilson in Seattle. You put those guys on more, and their teams are winning. You're not doing anybody any favors by putting somebody else out there that nobody wants to see play. Freddie, what are your thoughts on the NCAA tournament so far? Are you a big upset guy, or are you a uh, I-want-the-blue-bloods guy? I'm a big, I'm a great basketball guy, Hmm. and I've always been a part of that. And I know I'm an outlier when it comes to that, but I've always – found it peculiar that people want to see what they know. And I'm thinking, well, you don't know any players in the team. Does the brand name mean that much that if, if, if Kentucky is there, Duke is there, if North Carolina is there, if Michigan State is there? I've always been a big believer you give me great basketball, and people usually follow even if they don't know who the teams are. Now, I completely get it, Brady. We all live on planet Earth. Nobody wants to see an Oral Roberts, Ohio, Maris, Vermont Final Four. No one is going to watch that other than the fans of their teams. But if you give me great basketball, you give me compelling basketball and storylines, I'm always going to follow along. I'm always going to want to be a part of that, and I want to experience that. But I also know more than ever before in the 21st century, if there's not a familiarity to somebody, whether it's a name or a coach, then people are going to go by the wayside. But I also counter that argument by saying, look at the Caldwell National Championship. You know Nick Saban in Alabama. You know Ohio State. You know those teams, Clemson with Dabble Sweeney. But yet we've gotten those games involving those teams, and the Rays have not been able to match up with those teams. So when people say that we want brand names, we want, we want familiarity, well, you get in the college playoff and you didn't want to watch it as much as you did watch it the first time you saw it. So I think it all depends on what kind of compelling storylines are going to have to carry the way. I will say the one thing the NCAA tournament is missing is that Zion Williamson kind of guy playing yeah. for a big program or somebody that's bigger than the program that they're playing for. That's the one thing they're missing. But like I said, Brady, I know I'm an outlier. I don't care about that. I want to see terrific, compelling basketball and compelling storylines. And Lord knows we got plenty of that from the first weekend of the big dance. Freddie, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, 
I haven't vet, vetted my idea yet, so I don't know how logical it is, but we've been talking for the last week about how to make the women's NCAA tournament more equitable to the men's tournament. And uh, what do we think about maybe the idea of mixing the tournament, like especially in the first round? Usually at a first-round site you get four games. Maybe it's two men's games and two women's games, and you play them at the same site, and you get more fans in the building, and you got more kind of cross-promotion. It's preliminary, but what do you think of my early idea? I understand the premise behind it, and this is going to be the unpopular opinion, but women's basketball is terrific, and the fact that more people are starting to galvanize themselves to watch women's basketball, at a certain point you're going to need not just that one team, but you're going to need that one transcendent player that men and women are going to watch. And when you think about it, you look at somebody like a Cheryl Miller. If Cheryl Miller is playing at this day and age of women's college basketball, that could be the transcendent player because she has the personality, she could be a heroine, and she could be a villainess. And usually now, more than ever before, nobody wants to see women as a villainess from that light because they think it's unladylike, it's not good for the game. But if you have somebody that's a polarizing figure, then people are going to want to pay attention to that person, whether they like them or they don't like them. Right now, women's basketball doesn't have that. And we can all say, well, do they really need that? At a certain point, there has to be that one person that people want to see. So even if you kind of combine the tournament to have women's games and men's games on the same site, I wonder if somebody's going to say, oh, women's game is being played. Is it UConn or is it Tennessee or is it South Carolina? And if it's not, there may be a tune-out factor from that standpoint. But if you have that one person, that one women's player that everybody wants to see, whether they like the school she plays for or they don't like the school she plays for, then that could be something that could probably make that idea work. Right now, there's not that Cheryl Miller kind of person at the polarizing figure and it's too bad, Brady, because she was ahead of her time. Yeah. One of the best I've ever heard about her was what Doris Burke said. Can you imagine Michael Jordan played all those years in North Carolina, and then you never saw him play again at the height of his powers? She said that was Cheryl Miller. And I thought that was the perfect description. Yeah. Women's basketball has a lot of terrific players. you got Paige Beckers of UConn. She's unbelievably good. you got Crystal Dunkey of Arkansas. Even though they're no longer an NCAA tournament, she's unbelievably good. But there's not that one polarizing figure that if they played at the same site as the men in the NCAA tournament, that would galvanize enough people that are not women's basketball fans to want to watch. Freddie Coleman, one of the best every single weeknight, 9 p.m., just not tonight, though, on WDEV. <laughs> Freddie, I hope you enjoy the uh, the rare off day, and we will talk to you again next week. Sounds good, my brother. You take care. Be well and talk to you in seven days.